Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. As we've already seen, at salvation, we receive the very life of Christ within us. This is precisely what the new birth is it is. Christ's life, sovereignly planted by God within us. When this takes place, it produces a radical change in our lives. We become, in the words of the Apostle Paul, we become new creatures in Christ. And although we still commit sin, we no longer practice sin in the sense that we live in a continual unbroken and unrepentant lifestyle of sin. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis expressed the call of Jesus in our lives this way. Give me all of you. I don't want so much of your time, so much of your talents and money, and so much of your work. I want you, all of you. I have not come to torment or frustrate the natural man or woman, but to kill it. No half measures will do. Hand it all over to me, the whole outfit, all your desires, all your wants and wishes and dreams. Turn them all over to me and give yourself to me and I will make of you a new self in my image. Give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. What a wonderful offer Jesus makes, isn't it? Welcome to Verse by Verse, a Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve will be concluding his fourth message in this series from 1 John about how to recognize the children of God. Last time, Pastor Steve gave us two reasons why the child of God practices righteousness. First is because of the very nature of sin. We are under Christ's authority, and so we submit ourselves to Him. Secondly, it's because we understand why Jesus died. If He went to such great lengths to save us from sin, how could we willingly return to it? Let's listen now as Pastor Steve moves on to the third reason. The third reason, John tells us, why a true child of God practices righteousness is because they have a relationship with Christ. Verse 6, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now, to abide in Christ means to remain in fellowship with him. In other words, to have an ongoing relationship with him. John says that the one who has a relationship with Christ no longer sins. Let me clarify this. We went over this Last we studied this, but I need to remind you. The key to understanding what John means by this is to know that the verb sins is in the present tense in the Greek text, meaning continual sinning. John is not saying that once you become a Christian, you no longer commit any sin. That would contradict what he said in chapter 1. We do sin, so we confess our sins. What John is saying is that once you become a Christian, you no longer, watch this, habitually practice 
ongoing sinful defiance and rebellion against Christ in your lifestyle. In other words, a true child of God no longer practices sinning as a way of life like he once did before he was saved. It doesn't mean he doesn't have a sin struggle. It doesn't mean that he doesn't fall down a bit. But he doesn't live the way he used to live. Total domination by sin. And the reason for this is because the moment we entered into a relationship with Christ, the Lord did subdue our sinful hearts and he gave us a new nature that wants to obey and please him. So these are the three reasons that we've already studied. We want to look at the fourth and final reason that John gives for why a child of God practices righteousness rather than sin. And his fourth reason is this, because Jesus Christ is the source of our righteousness. He's the source of a child of God's righteousness. It stems from him, not the child of God. Verse 7, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, he says, just as he, he meaning Christ, is righteous. Now, notice the first thing that John does, folks, is he gives us a warning, gives them a warning. He warns this flock about being deceived. And apparently the reason John was compelled to say this is because the Gnostic teachers, though maybe not in their church assemblies, were trying still to deceive these folks, maybe by personal contact. And they were telling them, and this is important for you to understand, they were telling them you can be a Christian and yet live like the devil. It really doesn't matter how we live. Yeah, we're Christians. No, we don't really care what the Bible says. We're going to be immoral. We're going to be unethical. We're going to lie. But we're Christians. That's apparently what they were saying. Understand what the Gnostics believed. They thought that all physical matter was evil. That, that is a basic underlying belief of Gnosticism. It was later developed further in the second century, but this is the seed of it all here. They thought that all physical matter was evil and that only the spirit was good. Therefore, what they concluded was this. They concluded, at least some of them, not all, but some concluded that evil done by the body had no connection to the spirit so that it really didn't matter how a person lived. It's your body. It's okay. It's not really connected to your soul, your spirit. Your body's evil anyway. You can't control it, so just do whatever you want. John is teaching against that. John's teaching against that. He's teaching us not to be deceived by anyone who claims to know Christ and yet lives like the devil and says they're still saved. They are not saved. In other words, he is warning us about deceptive teachers who say that holiness is unconnected to being a Christian. And John counteracts that deception by stating this profound truth. He says, the one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous, he meaning Christ. Now, what does he mean by this? He means that the, that the reason someone, by someone we mean a child of God, practices righteousness is because he's been given, note this, a righteous nature within him. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. We're not righteous in and of ourselves. We've been given a righteous new nature within us so that our righteous behavior reflects 
the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Did you get that? The moment you come to Christ for salvation, you have a brand new nature. It is a righteous nature. Peter says it is a divine nature. So that your behavior will be righteous. And it will reflect the very righteousness of Jesus Christ who now lives within you. Now, let me explain. This is the new birth. This is exactly what Jesus meant when he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The big word for this is regeneration. God gives you a new life. He gives you his own nature in terms of righteousness. Therefore, the evidence that you have been given this new nature is righteousness. Therefore, your conduct is righteous. Not perfect, but righteous. See, the practice of righteousness does not make you a Christian, as so many think. But it does reveal if you are a Christian, because your behavior is now morally consistent with the nature of Christ, who is totally righteous. See, when John says, even as he is righteous, he's speaking of Jesus as righteous. Now, let me explain. He doesn't mean that we are as righteous in our conduct as Christ is. We still have sin that lies within us. We're still prone to wandering. We're prone to committing sin. That is not true of Jesus at all. He has never sinned. He's not capable of sinning. He is perfectly righteous in every way. That will never change. However, even though we sin and we vacillate in our behavior, our desire is to live in a way that is consistent with the righteous standards of the word of God. And John's point is this. This is true of every child of God because Christ's nature of righteousness lives within them. See, Christ himself is the source of a believer's righteousness. He's the source. And we want to live righteously because he lives within us and he's righteous. It's as simple and yet profound as that. But that's not true of any unsaved person. And that's the difference, as John proceeds to point out in verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. So John is saying all non-Christians are of the devil in the sense that the devil dominates their behavior. That's a frightening thought. The devil dominates the behavior of all unsaved people, whether they believe in him or not. And in dominating their behavior, their behavior is always sinful because Satan is always and totally sinful. And he's been totally sinful, John says, from the very moment that he decided to rebel against God. That's I take it that's what John means when he says that he sinned from the beginning. It doesn't mean the beginning of his creation, because he was a perfect and high angel when he was created, Lucifer. But from the very beginning that sin entered his heart and his mind, he's been sinning ever since. So therefore, what John is saying is Satan is the source of the sinful practices of all unbelievers. He controls the way an unbeliever lives. Now, in what way does Satan influence and, and dominate people to sin? Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Notice what Paul says, in whose case the God of this world, that's Satan, 
has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, what Paul is saying is this. If somebody remains lost and somebody can't see the gospel, Satan has a part in it. Satan darkens the minds of unbelievers so that they continue to reject Jesus and live any way they please. He often darkens their minds by false teaching, false philosophies of life. So Satan does, in some way, as we've pointed out through false teaching, influence and darkens the minds of the unsaved. He also, in his own way, mysterious as it might be, he works in the hearts of unbelievers so that their evil behavior reflects his evil behavior. Remember what Jesus said, John chapter 8, verse 44. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, all unbelievers have a nature like that. We're called children of wrath before we are saved. It's a nature very similar to Satan in that it is a rebellious sin nature. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 talk of this. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. All unsaved people are just like their father, the devil. They have the same nature. He's the source of their rebellion. And before we were saved, we belonged to the kingdom of Satan. We belonged to that kingdom. We lived just like Satan in continual rebellion against God. But notice this. Look back at 1 John again. When we came to Christ, all of that changed. All of that changed. Look at verse 8, the last part of it. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Now, what does John mean by this? Well, let me tell you what he doesn't mean. John doesn't mean that once you become a Christian, the, the devil no longer has the ability to tempt you to do evil. That was true. Then everything that I taught this morning was inaccurate. The devil does, we're told in 1 Peter 5, 8, walks about prowling like a lion on the loose, roaring, seeking whom he might devour. And Peter, obviously, when he says this, 1 Peter 5, 8, is referring to believers. He's writing to believers. He's warning them about Satan trying to destroy their lives. So what John is teaching here is, is not that once you become a, a Christian, the devil no longer has the ability to tempt you to do evil. All of his works are completely destroyed. No, what John does mean is that when Jesus died, he destroyed Satan's power over us. It's destroyed. So that we were released from the devil's domination over our lives. That's what he means. In other words, although Satan still tempts us, he no longer has the power to hold us captive to follow him by practicing sin. We are no longer under Satan's rule. 
Therefore, we are not bound to obey the devil in rebelling against God. See, before we were saved, we were bound. We were bound. You didn't have freedom. You could not, nor would you, nor would you want to say, I don't think I'll sin against God. I don't think I'll let Satan control me. Even if you believed in him personally, you would never say that. You would never say that. You and I, before salvation, were held captive to follow Satan. He dominated us. We were under his control. But Christ has set us free. He rendered powerless Satan over you. Now, if you sin, it's because you choose to sin, not because you have to sin. Here's the way Steve Lawson in his book, Absolutely Sure, puts it. He writes, because Christ conquered Satan, a true believer will no longer habitually practice sin. Christ's victory released all who believe in him from Satan's tyranny, setting them free to never practice sin again, never. Emphatically, Jesus stated, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. So if the Son of God makes you free, you'll be free indeed. It is inconceivable, Lawson writes, that those who have been rescued from Satan's stronghold would continue practicing the very sins that Jesus delivered them from. Not only won't we practice them, we don't want to practice them, and we're not bound to obey Satan anymore. Now, as John continues, he elaborates on this same truth that he's been saying, that true children of God practice righteousness because of their God-given righteous nature. And the children of the devil, as he goes on to elaborate, practice rebellion because of their devilish rebellious nature. Look at verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed remains in him. He means God's seed remains in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, once again, we need to explain this very carefully so we don't misunderstand. John says that the reason those who are born of God no longer practice sin is because God's seed has been planted within them. Now, what John means by his seed is what we've been saying. It is the very life of Jesus Christ, which is simply another way of saying the new nature. As we've already seen at salvation, we receive the very life of Christ within us. This is precisely what the new birth is. It is Christ's life sovereignly planted by God within us. When this takes place, it produces a radical change in our lives. We become, in the words of the Apostle Paul, we become new creatures in Christ. And although we still commit sin, we no longer practice sin in the sense that we live in a continual, unbroken and unrepentant lifestyle of sin. Now, don't get discouraged by by your sin and thinking, well, I must not be a believer because I sin so often. But if you repent, it's not something that's just continual. You repent, you confess it, you do obey. That's the mark of a believer. Unbelievers don't repent. Unbelievers don't confess. It's just continual, unbroken, unrepentant lifestyle of sin. I love the way Martin Lloyd-Jones put it. 
He said, regeneration is the implanting of new life in the soul. It is the act of God by which a principle of new life is implanted in a man or a woman with the result that the governing disposition of the soul is made holy. That's a great way of putting it. The governing disposition of your soul is made holy. Without that new life in you, the governing disposition of your soul is unholy. It is satanic. Listen, this implanting of a divine seed within us, it must produce a holy life because that's the way that God has designed all seed to operate. Orange seeds produce oranges. Apple seeds produce apples. And Christ's righteous seed produces Christ's righteous behavior. That's what he's saying. That's precisely what John is talking about. And notice how he ends verse 9. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Once again, it is important to understand that the verb sin in this expression, cannot sin, is in the present tense. So that it means that no one who is born uh, again practices sin. If you write in your in your Bibles, if you do that, feel free to put practices sin because that is what the text is saying. It's the same thing that John has been saying throughout this letter. It's not talking about committing a sin. It's talking about practicing sin. And when God plants his seed within us, you know what? It's obvious. It's obvious. There are no secret believers. It's obvious to everyone by the fruit that it produces in one's life. Verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. God. Listen, Jesus himself said back in Matthew chapter 7 that people are known by their fruit, meaning that those who are his followers produce the fruit of godly behavior, and those who are not his followers produce the fruit of ungodly behavior. That's the same truth that John is is teaching here by saying that there are only two kinds of people. There are the children of God, there are the children of the devil. And it's very obvious Who belongs to who? It's very obvious which is which. Children of God practice righteousness. Children of the devil do not. They practice sin. Now, folks, remember the big picture here. John is writing this for us to evaluate our lives. So evaluate your life. In light of what John has taught us tonight, this is the test. If you've been born again, it'll be obvious by your disposition, as Lloyd-Jones put it. It'll be obvious. You'll behave in a holy and a righteous manner. And if this is true of you, then you can be certain that you are really saved, that you are a true child of God. But if you have no interest in submitting to the righteous standards of the word of God, then you are not a child of God, but rather you are still a child of the devil. And the only hope for you is to repent of your sin and believe that when Jesus died, he was dying for your sin. So you repent, you trust him, you become a child of God, and then you'll evidence righteousness in your life. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank you that through John, you are so forthright, so straightforward, and Lord, so blunt. We can't even miss the message. But I pray that what we read here, what we study will apply to our own lives. 
Lord, I pray for anyone here who's struggling with assurance of their salvation. May our study tonight greatly help them. But I pray for the person who does not know Christ, thinks he does, but really doesn't. I pray that our study tonight would shake them up to the point of bringing them to faith. I also pray for those who are exposed to teachers and others who would try to deceive them, teaching that doesn't matter how we live as long as we believe. I pray that you'll protect our people from this deception and may the passion of their life be holiness for the right motives, the right reasons, not thinking we can do something to get to heaven, but knowing that because we do love you and because we understand the cross and we understand what salvation is, we want to obey you out of love. We pray you'll take all that we've studied tonight and build these truths into our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you want to know more about how to be sure of your salvation, you can call Lakeside at 727-239-0306. Today's class concluded the fourth sermon in a series and is available on CD. To request a CD, call that same number and ask for message 8743, How to Recognize the Children of God, Part 4. The number again is 727-239-0306. To listen again to today's or any previous broadcast, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I hope you'll tune in for the